0: Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. A
1: mystical fairy tale of a podcast.
0: How enchanting. What antiques are we talking about this week?
1: Well, this week I wanted to address a... It's not really a mystery, but a curiosity perhaps. A controversy. Highly controversial subject matter. I want to talk about miniature glass shoes. Oh! A lot of people have asked many times, constantly, over and over again, why, why, why is this happening to me?
0: Including me, when I worked at the antique
1: store and kept seeing them. Yeah, you might recognize the phrase "small glass shoes" as a reference to, <laughs> to shoes that are made of glass and small. And small. <laughs>
0: You know, now that you mention it, I am making some kind of connection.
1: You know, if anyone has a ranking of dumbest shit I've said, that that would be a good one to add to the list. Throw it into the compilation. Yeah, could you make the compilation? Huh? Little glass shoes, generally in an antique or vintage style, they are constant. They are a constant companion in the land of vintage and antique. Unlike a lover, they'll never leave you. I got a question. Ken, do you have any in your home? Fuck no! And yes, the ones that belong to Devon Count.
0: If my roommate has snuck any in, we're going to have a conversation.
1: I almost want to pull him in just to ask because I'm pretty sure there is some. No. I know I've got at least two in my house. Disgusting. And how did they get there? Your fucking guess is as good as mine. They're like limpets that just kind of attach themselves to other stuff you bring in. Did the shoe fairy bring them? God, I hope not. That guy's a creep. (laughs) So a common question is, well, how the hell did this start? How did this happen? How did we get here? Hey, Dee, how the hell did this happen? I regretfully inform you that no one is entirely sure. The end. Sources for this episode include- Common sense, no. (laughs) 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 Miniature shoes have existed for as long as we've had shoes. That's horrifying. In pretty much any culture in which shoemaking became a skill, or something that could be decorated instead of just a thing to protect the feet, you quickly saw miniatures happen. Sometimes it was just for shoemakers to show off how good they were at making a nice shoe. And admittedly, having a miniature shoe that you have cobbled is a lot less fucking weird than having a regular size shoe to pull out when you're trying to convince someone to hire you to make their shoes. I would
0: actually say the smaller shoe is more weird, personally.
1: It is strange, but practical, I would say, in terms of a marketing device. I guess. The Romans had tiny oil lamps that looked like little feet in sandals. Egyptian tombs are frequently found with miniature sandals, regardless of the size of the person inside. And who'd, who else, who would you guess it? The French. Of course, the French done did it again. They were my first
0: sex specs, if I'm being honest.
1: We can probably blame the French for bringing the miniature shoe into hot couture.
0: For one thing, they invented the term hot couture. For another. For,
1: <laughs> that would be number one. For another, they began the extremely bizarre and if anyone like specializes in French history and can tell me why this, the why, 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 for the love of God, why. Uh-huh. They serve food out of little fake shoes. I mean, okay, they were fake, you know, and we are familiar with the drinking wine out of uh, a great beauty's shoe.
0: Yeah, I don't like it.
1: Yeah, I don't. I'm not like, I'm not, Can I'm not pro that. (laughs) I'm just, it did happen. Or at least it happened in popular culture enough that it may as well have happened. And uh, these little miniature shoes plague everything. They are like ants in that they are endemic to literally everywhere. And are constantly on and in everything jewelry, plastic, food, dishware, knives. Nothing is safe from shoe. Good god. But specifically the little glass ones that your nana peepop ding dong had in their window. Well, there might be a more specific beginning to that proud tradition.
0: Proud is a strong word.
1: Although this has been relegated to the area of vaguely true legend. So hearsay. Yeah. Well, no, there are things that did exist in this and things that we can't prove. Okay. The tradition might start at the reign of George III of England and the Earl of Butte, John Stuart. Now if you're familiar with the series of horrible mistakes that was the reign of King George the 3rd, you might know John Stuart as the clown that was doing a little jig beside him the whole way down. While I think it is a great overestimation of his value as a human being to say that John Stuart the Earl of Butte, like directly influenced the king in all of the terrible decisions he was making. Um he wasn't helping him make better ones for sure. Eventually, they got chummy enough that the Earl of Butte was promoted to prime minister, where he was promptly so fucking hated by the people and his terrible influence on the already extremely shitty King George III, that he was basically forced to resign or fired by public opinion in 1763. Uh-huh. The sentiment leading up to this was supposedly a campaign called Give Him the Boot. Right. Where supporting households of giving the Earl of Butte the boot would have blown glass boot shaped bottles and glasses in their windows, making clear their lack of friendliness towards the Earl of Butte.
0: Wow, they really showed him,
1: huh? Yeah, you can kind of see where I'm pressing X to doubt. (laughs) We do know that blown glass boot shaped bottles and glasses were very popular in the late 1700s, and the Earl of Butte definitely did exist, and all of that stuff was more or less true. He was fired, he did suck, and King George III did a lot of stuff that influenced history in ways. Yes, (laughs)
0: Yes, <laughs> all of this is true.
1: That is supposedly, that is very frequently referred to as the legendary beginning of people just having decorative shoe in glass specifically.
0: Here's the thing, they have me right up until the point where they put shoes in the window.
1: <laughs> is that, 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 it's there, huh? Like That's the point where you lose me. <laughs> Everything else makes a lot of sense. So, Ken... As with all goofy traditions, where do you think this went? Straight into Queen Victoria's greedy little hands. Straight into Queen Victoria's greedy little hands. From the ignorable boot-shaped bottle, which might have just been made to show off a glassblower's acumen in shaping glass, the Victorians made the small shoe shockingly sentimental.
0: Of course. Because they're freaks.
1: Slowly, the shoes begin to spawn more and more horrible, horrible children. Yay! You get miniature by miniature shoe standard shoes made to be thimble holders with the tongues and backs cleverly hiding a thimble. I don't know why you need to hide a thimble. It's fine to own a thimble, <laughs> it's shameful to own a thimble.
0: I haven't worked out just why yet, but rest assured.
1: (laughs) It's normal. It's okay. I will still respect you in the morning if I come to your home and I see a thimble. Thimbles. We all have them. Everybody poops and everybody owns a thimble. (laughs) You also have every kind of smoking implement. Match holders, cigarette holders, snuff boxes. Imagine doing snuff out of a small little foot. I hate it.
0: Can't say I enjoy the thought, no. I would prefer not to know it.
1: Inkwells, paperweights, comb handles, bonbonniers, candy dishes, which I believe is just another word for bonbonniere, pin cushions, cruet sets, vases, ice cream and ice molds, salt and pepper, boy howdy. If there was a use and it was fairly small, you could make it a small shoe. You could. But dear God, why? Did I mention salt cellars? Salt cellars as well. Salt and salt accessories. And as with many of the maddening things the Victorians done did, it became an enduring collectible trend. Yay! The slow slide started with souvenirs. What better way to remember a beautiful trip to... I don't know, Ken, name a destination.
0: Rhode Island.
1: A beautiful trip to Rhode Island than a little shoe that says Rhode Island.
0: That can barely fit in the state. (laughs) Ha 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 ha! motherfucker go away <laughs> get out of here <laughs> i see this podcast is now a solo venture. yeah get out <laughs> you're fired goodbye
1: <laughs> so yeah yeah the secret history between miniature glass shoes is that's the only kind of footwear the people in rhode island can can fit into oh no oh we do have fun oh we do have a larf and the natural companion to travel souvenirs quickly became event souvenirs could you come back with a very small shoe that told you that you were at the World's Fair? You certainly could. I guarantee there were more interesting things to buy at the World's Fair, but you could do that.
0: That is among your options.
1: The collectability got to the point where miniature shoes would actually be printed in plastic in the 1950s. Gross. What?
0: Plastic?
1: Yeah, plastic. It's bad enough when it's glass. You'll love this. They were basically gift cards to redeem that same pair of shoes, but actually for feet.
0: Okay, you know what? That one. In my opinion, now I'm on board. That's very funny.
1: Yes, <laughs> it's kind of funny. it's Like, I, what kind of shoe would you like? I would like this shoe, but not for borrowers. For me. For my human feet. For my human feet. And he was like, "I can see that you have human feet." And then you're, then you walk right back out. You're like, "That was a strange thing to say," and I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, every single fucking glass company in both America and across the entire world would trickle into getting into making these little tiny shoes. Most notably are makers Gillander and Fenton. One of those might be familiar to you. Fenton! That's the one! I studied up, I've done my
0: homework, I know what a Fenton is.
1: Gillinder almost specifically made a sort of Rococo-style French slipper shape and was most frequently associated with short-run events, leading to them to be worth a fair bit more than your average glass shoe. Because each line is extremely limited production? Yep. Available for a limited time only? For a limited time only, you could get a shoe! And Fenton Glass, as we all know and love, would go on to keep making these in perpetuity. I suspect they are making some even as we speak. A lot of these glass shoes are typified by a heavy decoration of diamond and or geometric cuts in the glass. What I believe is referred to as a daisy pattern in larger pieces of glass. My favorite thing about the Fenton shoes, probably the only thing that makes them likable, is that I believe after a certain point, literally all of them, they all have little cats peeping out the top. Oh. I have met personally people who only collect the ones with little cats peeping out the top.
0: Well, they're clearly the only ones worth having because they have a little kitty.
1: And yeah, I'll admit, it does make them a lot more charming to me. Now, miniature shoes, you might be familiar with the sort of French style slipper, but there is a whole world of weird shoe shapes to collect out there. And what's interesting is up until the 1940s, they tend to represent the age in which the shoe was popular. The older of the miniatures tend to be British-style boots, followed by the French slippers that were used for food, which is weird. The Victorians would introduce the baby booty. And I'm sorry, where would I be if I didn't mention the Dutch clog?
0: Holland, that's where.
1: An enduring souvenir from Holland.
0: Or the Netherlands.
1: Another fun fact I found out is that there is a sort of chicken and egg situation with glass shoe tchotchkes and the addition of a glass slipper in Cinderella, or at least the Grimm Brothers retelling of the Cinderella myth.
0: Oh, because these little
1: glass slippers
0: predate the Grimm Brothers.
1: They do. Oh no. So it is possible and it is possibly believed that little tiny glass slippers being fashionable curiosities in homes may have given them the idea of a glass slipper. And there is also the fallout of the story of the glass slipper with Cinderella becoming very popular, a very popular version of the fairy tale which led to more people buying the tiny glass shoes. It just keeps going. And it just keeps going. Now, I'm sorry, in retrospect, I've been extremely disparaging to these little guys, but uh, you have to understand that in my career, it's sort of like mosquitoes in a hot bog. They are ever-present to the point of irritation.
0: Yes, yes they are. You cannot turn around in an antique shop without hitting at least half a dozen tiny miniature glass shoes. And after a certain point, you begin to associate them with all of your anger and all of your hatred, all of your frustrations until... Finally, you realize that if you just made the shoes stop, everything would be fine.
1: Yeah, you know, like for the 45th time a customer's complaining to you or like helplessly trying to barter something from $5 down to none, chances are your eyes locked on a little glass shoe and, it, and as Kent said, it suddenly became the trigger, the switch with which everything could be made right. You will be kept
0: awake at night by the hard, hard knocking of those terrible shoes.
1: <laughs> the clocking of those terrible tiny shoes. But let's talk about some of their good qualities. They are made in every color of glass you can blink and well imagine. It's true. The Gillander blue ones are some of my favorite shades of blue you could imagine. Very deep. It's not quite turquoise, but not quite Robin's egg. Tiffany blue? Tiffany blue is a good way to describe it. And time-honored tradition of little glass colorful things look wonderful in the window and bring a smile to the face. And perhaps most importantly, these things are flippin' cheap. And tawdry. Cheap and tawdry. Oh my. Oh, the scandal I'll welcome these into your home. They come at a pretty low cost. Barring any, like, Extreme cross collectability, obviously, obviously the little shoe-shaped oil lamps are highly valued to oil lamp collectors and snuff boxes are highly valued to snuff box collectors, so on and so forth. They tend to come in at shockingly cheap prices. The bulk of them very rarely get past $12.
0: So if you have a horde of grandma's entire bookshelf full of tiny glass shoes collection and you bring it into the antique store ready to find out just how much your fortune is worth, rest assured it's nothing and you might as well have left them there they were.
1: It's like five dollars a shoe.
0: (laughs) If that... Because first you have to find someone to buy them and dear god.
1: Dear god. Yeah, the collectors are few and far between these days. And the market is glutted. Yeah, they're one of those. But that does make them very easy and dare I say fun to pick up. Especially at, you know, yard sales. Thrift shops. The gutter. The gutter. I love to find things in the gutter from time to time. (laughs) don't we all? Ken might be being a little tiny bit sarcastic, but yeah, they can be kind of fun. I think there's probably plenty of people who got started collecting these things by buying one or two just because maybe they liked the color. Maybe they thought it was funny. I'm going to give Ken space to remind us here that irony doesn't exist. Hey, you know what doesn't exist? Irony. There we go. Okay.
0: If you love something (laughs) ironically, then you love it. You just love the thing. Just admit you love the thing.
1: Yeah. Guilty pleasures aren't real. Thank you. The really upper end with the finely handcrafted, hand-blown stuff, even from like the 1700s, you're looking at maybe several hundred dollars. Maybe. And even some of those I didn't see crest 500 despite being historically interesting and handcrafted. And very, very old. I will also say there are, I don't even want to call them reproductions because I think they might just be contemporary. I just think that the thirst for making small shoes never went away.
0: Please do not discuss the shoe thirst.
1: Well, like, certainly Fenton has done tons of re-releases of a lot of its patterns. Someday, maybe I'll talk about Fenton. Maybe. Coming soon, our Fenton episode. Most of the time, you're going to be collecting these just because you think they're cute. And the ones that you'll start really sinking money into, those are going to be marked. A lot of these were used as advertising pieces. So, oddly enough, these things are pretty regularly marked by the makers. And if they're not, well, you kind of have a bit of a baseline for how much they go for. Uh, but yeah, some unusual pieces, they can go for a fair bit. Uh, looking like elfinware, like I said, Gillander event shoes. And anything with cross-collectibility, you might be able to have some fun there. Because a lot of people do naturally assume these are worthless and then sell anything miniature shoe for very little. That's that on that. A miniature episode
0: on miniature shoes.
1: Yeah, just a little episode on some little shoes. Sources for today include AntiquesInfo.co.uk A History and Price Guide to Miniature Shoes by Zeta Thornton DustyOldThing.com Collectible Glass Shoes Sentinel.com, Their 1989 article on Miniature Shoes GlassEncyclopedia.com Glass Shoes CollectorsWeekly.com Glass, Slippers, Shoes, and Boots And Shoeboxes.wordpress.com
0: if you would like to suggest an episode topic or just say hello, you can email us directly, podcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends. You can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com, or you can check out our Instagram at instagram.com antiquesfreaks.
1: If you didn't like me saying thirst for shoes out loud, feel free to scroll on down and tell us how you feel by leaving us a review wherever you're listening to this. Every single review does us a major solid and gets our voices into a variety of waiting ears.
0: Five stars, one for every little piggy in that shoe.
1: Ten stars! Worth two of those!
0: And if you want more Antiques Freaks in your week, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where every week we read and review a chapter of the Victorian penny-dreadful Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood. Special shout-out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love.
1: So much love.
0: And thank you in particular for listening.
1: That's right, you.
0: Au revoir! Goodbye!